It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the show. Yesterday was uh, Father's Day. I hope it was a good one for you, whether you were uh, celebrating a father or being celebrated as a father. We're going to pay tribute to Father's Day today with uh, some encores from the show. The uh, sons and daughters of some uh, well-known uh fathers we have um oh coming up in just a minute and a half or so we're going to talk with uh, sergeant shriver's son mark shriver uh, we're also going to talk with uh, rod serling's daughter Anne, and um vincent price's daughter victoria these are all uh past interviews on the show um but i uh, thought we would uh celebrate some people who had some very well-known fathers and then we're going to talk with the author of a new book that's called let me see if i can find the title in the right place conversations across america a father a son alzheimer's and 300 conversations along the trans-american bike trail that capture the soul of america just come out this month june of 2022 Written by Kari Loya, and he talks about his 75-year-old dad, Merv, and their uh, their trip across country on bicycles. It took him 73 days, I think, to make it from uh, Yorktown, Virginia, to Astoria, Oregon. And uh, he's got some interesting stories and uh, some interesting conversation, as do all our guests. So I hope you enjoy this little hat tip to uh, Father's Day on the Tom Sumner program. Stay tuned. This first hour, we're going to talk with the author of a new book for kids called Ten Hidden Heroes, a counting book with a message. It's uh, by Mark Shriver, who is president of Save the Children Action Network in Washington, D.C., um, he also created the Choice Program and is a former Maryland state legislator. And uh, I recognized his name uh, right off uh, from um, his best-selling memoir, A Good Man, Rediscovering My Father, Sergeant Shriver. Anyway, uh, Mark joins me by phone. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. Good morning. Um, Mark, the... Uh, the idea of writing a, a book like this, a, a children's book, because you've written other books. Uh, you wrote My Search for the Real Pope Francis and uh, um, 
What made you decide uh, to write a children's book, and why this particular topic? Because it's uh, Ten Hidden Heroes, a counting book with a message. Well, the book is uh, it's a it is a counting book. It's a fun adventure book. So the idea is to have young children um, look for heroes in each of the pages. So on page ten, there are ten. On page nine, there's nine, and so forth. Um, but the heroes are not, you know, what American culture generally uh, celebrates. You know, people with power and prestige. Um, you know, the Super Bowl winning quarterback, the CEO who has, you know, making millions of dollars a year and has multiple houses, multiple cars, that type of thing. Or our comic book the, favorites. Or our comic book favorites. Yes, you know, <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, folks flying through the air or smashing buildings or saving. Other people. I mean, what these are are everyday heroes, and I think we need to lift those folks up. I mean, it started the idea kind of came around at the beginning of the pandemic, but I've tried to really focus my career and and what I've written about about people who do the good work of keeping our communities together every day, and that's different than the great work or the celebrated work, because uh, so often you know people that do great things are not good people uh, when the spotlight is off. So this is a celebration of you know, people who compost, uh, you know, guard the, at the crosswalk, lawyers, um, you know, who are helping people out, the folks, the, the doctors and nurses, but also the custodians in the hospital. Uh, so the people who are doing the small things that keep our community strong, that, that uh, make for a loving and caring community. So, and, and also people... Tom, like Special Olympics athletes, you mentioned my dad, uh, Sergeant Shriver, my mother, uh, Eunice Kennedy Shriver, started Special Olympics. And I have in there, you know, a couple of athletes, one from uh, Israel, arm in arm with uh, an athlete from the United Arab Emirates. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I was in the UAE in Abu Dhabi uh, for the International Special Olympic Games, 80,000 people cheering these athletes from all around the world including the athletes from Israel. And the UAE government doesn't recognize Israel. Um, but here are these two athletes arm-in-arm arm, showing that so much uh, we have so much more in common than what divides us. Um, so they're heroes. They're showing us how to respect each other, how to support each other, um, how to be friendly, if you will, uh, regardless of what country we're from or what our, you know, whether we're Republicans or Democrats here in America or um, you know, all across the world, there people play on our differences. But Ten Hidden Heroes, this book, is supposed to show that there are heroes in all of us, and we can each lead in in a, in a different but important way. Well, and and uh, again, referring back to your father, Sergeant Shriver, um, you mentioned the Special Olympics, but he was also the uh, the first head of um, uh, the um, Peace Corps. Yes, he created the Peace Corps for um, uh, President Kennedy uh, and the War on Poverty under President Johnson, you know, starting programs like Head Start, Legal Services for the Poor, Job Corps, uh, VISTA, Volunteers in Service Towards America. Um, and I think, you know, the thing that uh, I wrote the book on my dad was really because I was touched by the folks who waited in the line when he died and, uh, um, you know, at the wake who told me that he was a good man to them. Um, you know, the waitress at his favorite restaurant who said how polite and thoughtful he always was to her over the years. The guy at the American Airlines counter who said he took him through, uh, you know, security. Um, but even though my dad had Alzheimer's, dad, dad was always polite and kind to the man. And, and 
know, these small comments of goodness uh, made me look at whether, uh, you know, I was living my life in a good manner as compared to trying to always do great things. Like, you know, the creation of the Peace Corps is a great thing. The creation of Head Start is a great thing. But what really mattered to me as a son um, and, you know, as his friend was to see what made him so good day in and day out and how he treated people. And that's what this book is about. Ten Hidden Heroes is a celebration of the good acts, not the acts that are going to get you on the front page of, uh, you know, the newspaper or on the nightly news. But these are the good acts that uh, keep our communities together. And I think it's important to teach our children this. You know, what does what uh, a hero, hidden hero really do day in and day out? Um, and that's what the book Ten Hidden Heroes is about, Tom. Um, Mark, can you explain to me just a little bit about the Save the Children Action Network. How is is that the same thing or different than the Save the Children Fund? Well, it's a, uh, it's a great question. So Save the Children was started in England about a, a little over 100 years ago by a woman uh, who was fighting for the rights for children. Uh, and imagine starting, you know, uh, an organization as a woman in uh, 1890, or whatever that is, uh, 1918, excuse me, um, you know, when women were definitely, you know, second-class citizens. And um, uh, the program, you know, the operation was started here in America uh, during the Great Depression, feeding children in Kentucky. And we still work not only in Kentucky, but across America. Um, uh, And I ran their U.S. programs for about uh, 18 years, Um, just moved into a new role a couple of days ago. Um, But we work with young children, zero to really eight years of age, making sure that they understand and their parents understand, their guardians understand the importance of education and reading the kids enter kindergarten ready to learn. So we do home visits. We work in Head Start. Pro- we run Head Start programs, early Head Start programs, really trying to get kids entering kindergarten so that they can uh, read, that they can function at grade level. They know how to, you know, put the round thing in the round hole and the square one in the square hole, um, uh, and which is really important for social, emotional, and cognitive development. What so many of us take for granted with our children or uh, that we, you know, our parents uh, taught us almost naturally, kids that live in poverty struggle with these issues. Uh, we give books, and we now... So Save the Children is doing great work not only across America, but in over 120 countries around the world. Um, the Action Network is a, the political arm of Save the Children, and we work with, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people all across America trying to mobilize and to put pressure on our elected officials to invest more in children uh, and in children's needs. Um, you know, if you look around and, and, and see the great uh, political operations in this country, they, you know, they focus on gun control or, uh, you know, the NRA, they focus on the environment, they focus on you know, issues around the, uh, Israel or other great uh, civil rights. important issues. Yeah, civil rights, exactly. But there isn't that type of effort for children. That's what Save the Children Action Network is. It's the uh, political advocacy arm of Save the Children. And together, they're, they're sister organizations, and that's an effort to try to raise the needs of children and to get political leaders, not only in Michigan but around the country, to invest in children. Well, have, having said that, uh what are your thoughts, and, and and how much did you have to do with the fact that uh, President Biden is expected to announce uh, uh, free uh, preschool when he uh, yes. addresses the joint uh, session of Congress later today? 
Um, what are your thoughts on, on we, that? We worked a lot with, um, you know, elected officials, both Republicans and Democrats, um, over the last, you know, 15 plus years on the importance of investing early. That, uh, you know, the, the, the greatest return on investment for taxpayers are the first five years of life. Uh, that, you know, 90% of brain growth happens in those first five years of life, Tom. And we've seen time and again that when children who live in poverty are so far behind by the age of, of four, they're 18 months behind, you know, uh, my kids, uh, our kids, um, by the age of four, and we spend billions of dollars trying to remediate that. In many cases, we don't succeed. Those those kids are so far behind um, that, that we're, as a country, falling further behind. And if you look around the world, India, China, all these other countries are investing early uh, to make sure kids are doing well socially, emotionally, and cognitively by the time they enter kindergarten. So I think what the, uh, President Biden is doing, and we worked, um, you know, with, as I said, uh, all candidates during the presidential campaign, including um, then Vice President Biden, to invest early. So you know, we believe it's important to offer um, not only pre-K and kindergarten services uh, for those that can take advantage of it on a full-time basis, uh, but we want to invest prenatally and at birth and through those first three years of life as well. Um, this is not a you know a, a social justice issue, although it, it is that. It's an economic issue. Um, you know, you see women dropping out of the workforce in the last year uh, because they don't have childcare options, and the childcare industry has been devastated. And we worked very hard on pushing Congress, you know, Republicans and Democrats, uh, and President Biden to invest in child care, and that was part of the $1.9 trillion. There was an investment in child care, but we need to do more, and we need to open up high-quality early learning experiences for all kids in this country. There's a great K-12 system. You know, we need to do better in the K-12 system, but what Save the Children focuses on are those first um, few years of life where there isn't a system. It's scattershot, not only in Michigan, but across the country. If we want kids to succeed in this country and we want to do better economically, we want to do better um, socially, we need to invest, uh, particularly for children of color, in those first five years of life. Mark, given your dad's legacy, was there any choice for you but to go into public service in some way? Well, you know, my funny question, Tom. You know, my uh, my parents never sat around and said, you got to go into public service, you got to go into public service. I think, you know, when you see two people uh, that were as joy-filled, that were as energetic as uh, my mom and dad every day to go to work, um, I think it was because they really didn't consider it work. I think they thought that they were, you know, they, they were Catholic, were Catholic. Uh, they went to Mass every day. Um, they realized they were not God. I think a lot of us, you know, in America, particularly men, <laughs> think we're a little bit godlike uh, because we have such, you know, skills or power or whatever it is. Mark, uh, and I think my parents. Yes, I, I, I hate to interrupt. I, I, I want to pick it up there, but I have to go to a break. Can you stick around for a few sure. minutes so we can talk some more? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Great. My guest is uh, Mark Shriver, who is president of Save the Children Action Network in Washington D.C. and also the author of a new book for kids called Ten Hidden Heroes, a counting book with a message. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as Hello well. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Jonah Pody. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back, everybody. We continue uh, my conversation with the author of a new book for kids called Ten Hidden Heroes, a counting book with a message. Mark Shriver, who is also uh, president of Save the Children Action Network in Washington, D.C. Mark, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No problem, Tom. Uh, sounds like a lot of people love having coffee and talking with you, as, as do I. So uh, thank you for having me on again. Um, Mark, we were talking a little bit um, before the break about uh, Save the Children Action Network and how uh, your family and your, your dad's legacy uh, in some ways led to you um, wanting to be in public service. But did it ever occur to you that this uh, this book, um, Ten Hidden Heroes, a counting book with a message, was in some ways an addendum to Profiles in Courage? Uh, well, it's, <laughs> I, it's, it's an interesting one. I, you kind of caught me off guard on that one. Uh, I don't, I think, you know, what it is, is a celebration of, I mean, I guess, uh, I mean, that's a kind of a bold, uh, thought, so I'm not going to go there, uh, cause I don't want to have <laughs> it be compared to, you know, that book. Uh, but I mean, I think what it is, is a celebration of goodness. Um, and that was a celebration of courage, but I do think that, you know, people who do keep our communities together, um, you know, who go to work every day, who don't complain, who you know, trying to make the world a little bit better. Uh, can you say they're courageous? Yes. I mean, I do. Uh, it depends on your definition of courage, and it also depends on your definition of hero. Um, and I think, you know, uh, then Jack Kennedy and now, you know, President Kennedy, you know, uh, wanted to elevate those that had shown courage under great uh, duress and, and great in stressful situations. And I think that's something we should aspire to. And I think the good work that the people that are in this book, Ten Hidden Heroes, which again, is, it's not a preachy book. It's not a, a book, uh, you know, that's telling us how to behave. It's a fun book and it's sparking conversations. I mean, a friend of mine told me he spent time trying to explain to his kid, because um, we have a, a, a young man in a wheelchair participating in a race for the homeless, how somebody in a wheelchair can raise money uh, and be a hero uh, raising money for the homeless. Uh, you know, so they're, we're trying to break stereotypes of what a hero really is, Tom, and that's what the book is about. You, know, you asked about my mother and father, you know, telling me to go into uh, you know public service, and that was never <laughs> their modus operandi. They were always about do what you love, try to make the world a little bit better every day, um, and uh, I think that's why they were so excited about their own work. And when you see people that are that happy, or really not happy, but joy filled. Uh, every day to go to work because they don't really see it as work, you know, and just kind of naturally gravitated to that area. I think I saw my parents and they were great role models. They still are great role models. They're teaching me every day. And that, what then made you want to write a, a book for what, what is the age range recommended for this? Yeah, the, age, the age range is, you know, three to eight years of age. Um, and I've been working with kids my whole life. You know, in college, I worked in an upward bound program for kids who were s smart but struggling from the New Haven and Hartford public school systems. I and started and ran a program for juvenile delinquent kids. You mentioned it uh, at the beginning. It's called the Choice Program, which is you know still in existence all across Maryland uh, and in Connecticut as well, um, in Rhode Island. I mean, 
you know, I've just worked on issues regarding kids um, and trying to raise the visibility of children's needs, you know, my whole career. Um, so I guess this kind of seemed like a natural development. You know, it's a kid's book, um, but I can't tell you the number of parents who have told me that uh, it's made them pause and think about, um, you know, what they consider heroic. So it's even though it's for kids three to eight, it's for uh, readers of all ages, Tom. You know, whether you have a children or grandchildren, niece and nephew, I think they'll, you know, really enjoy sitting down and reading the book with you and trying to find the heroes and then having a discussion about, you know, why is somebody who composts, you know, doing heroic work? Well, and, you know, they're they're lessening the trash. They're they're helping Mother Earth. Well, that's an important conversation about how we treat the environment, how we treat the Earth. And during, so they're all, you know, kind of ways of conversation. During this last year, year and a half, with the, the COVID-19 pandemic all over the world, but, but here in the United States, we've redefined um, in many ways... Um, what heroes are you, when we look at frontline workers, not just the people, you know, in, in hospitals and in first responders, but looking at truck drivers and uh, grocery store clerks and, and uh, the people that stock the shelves at night so that the groceries were there if you needed them. And, and all of a sudden, we've gotten a different impression of what it takes to be a hero, which is possibly long overdue. How long did it take to write this book, and, and was it at all pandemic-influenced? It was pandemic-influenced, um, but, uh, you know, again, I think that I've tried to write about and, and really understand uh, why those people are heroic before the pandemic. And, and you know, I read a, a kind of a, a powerful article in which they talked to essential workers. And one person said, you know, I don't, I don't feel essential. I feel disposable. Um, you know, that if I get sick here, uh, you know, at the checkout counter at the supermarket, um, you know, they'll find somebody else to come in. And, and that was really essential. Why am I paid such a low wage? Why am I not offered health insurance? I think those are important questions as a society we need to ask ourselves. You know, are they really essential and do we really value people or is it just lip service? And when things kind of get back to normal, we're going to go back to not really valuing those people. And, you know, part of what the book is about is to try to raise up those people, to try to see them as, as heroes, which is what they do day in and day out. Um, so I, I agree. We've, you know, talked about and have a new definition of what is heroic and what is essential um, but, you know, do we really believe we ought to invest in those people and, and, you know, offer them health insurance and a living wage? Or do we believe that as a society we should be doing those things? How did you get um, teamed up with Laura Watson, the illustrator for the book? You know, the publisher, it's a great question, Tom. Uh, Laura, uh, I've actually never met her in person. She's from Canada. But the publisher proposed about uh, six or seven different illustrators and uh, our two children in college were back from college, uh, university. They were going to Boston College, and they were there uh, back at home with our high school sophomore. And we looked at um, all of the illustrators, and we had a secret ballot, and everybody chose Laura, including me. I think her art is great. It's The colors are bright, uh, you know, positive messages, um, and worked very closely with her on, you know, making sure we had heroes in each of the different settings and to make it fun and uh, and to try to change our you know preconceived notions of what heroes look like so i thought she did a great job did you uh do you like it i thought it was 
Oh, it's absolutely, really and and it's it's um, it more than being decorative or part of the layout of a book. And we see illustrations in a lot of children's books uh, targeted for this age from three to eight um, because visuals are so important. Um, but it it's kind of part of the book itself because there's there's a certain amount of uh, <laughs> it's got kind of a where's Waldo quality. Yeah, it's exactly right. That, that's exactly what it, uh, it's, that's exactly correct. And, you know, where is Waldo? And instead of finding one guy with a striped shirt amongst, you know, a thousand pe- people, uh, on a page, this is trying to find the heroes doing kind of everyday tasks. Um, you know, from taking care of, if you're an older sibling, taking care of your younger sibling when they fall and, you know, cut their, cut their leg to, you know, the custodian in the hospital to the lifeguard. Um, you know, Pope Francis, I wrote a book on him, Tom, you mentioned it, yeah. um, talks about the hidden saints who live next door who commit small acts of love that change the world. Um, and, you know, you can think that's corny or overboard. Or, you know, Bobby Kennedy, my uncle, said uh, talked about tiny ripples of hope um, when he was in South Africa that can knock down the mightiest walls of oppression. Um, you know, when, when people stand up against injustice, these are little ripples of hope. And that's what the book is about. They're little celebrating little acts of love and or little ripples of hope. Um, and, you know, the people who are who are doing those little acts of love, little acts of hope, ripples of hope. And that's what Ken Hidden Heroes is about. And I thought Laura did a great job getting that message across. And, and it used to be kind of the, the norm, Mark, where... You know, people strived to be good, to do good things, to help others. And then that kind of tapered off for a while. And, you know, throughout the pandemic, we've heard people talk about a new normal. In the in the wake of redefining what it means to be a hero, do you think there's, there's a chance that, that the new normal will re-embrace that idea of... of we all think of ourselves as capable of doing good? I hope so. I mean, I don't know. You talk to more people than I do. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Do you think other people think that that's going to happen? Or do you think we're, everyone thinks we're going to go back to the way it was? And, you know, essential workers are nice, and they did a great job during the pandemic. Uh, but, you know, we don't really pay attention to them. Mark, it just I don't about, know. What do you think? Just about everybody I've posed that question to, Mark, says... What whatever thing they're they're working on to improve the world is going to be better in the new normal. <laughs> now well, I, I, don't, hope, uh, I don't know if they're all right, but uh, we can hope. Yeah, and I think that not every you know we're not going to all succeed, but if we try, it's you know that that's uh, there was a great quote from Mother Teresa, you know the saint uh, from Calcutta who was from Calcutta who said God doesn't ask you to succeed, but God asks you to try. So I guess we're trying, not everybody's going to succeed, but if we're trying to make the world a little bit better in very, you know, small but important ways, I think that's great. And I think, you know, you pivoting back to what President Biden's going to say tonight, if we offer pre-K services to families and we provide high-quality early learning experiences for children, those kids, you know, Biden's not going to be around to see that in 40 years when those kids are successful, uh, you know, and those kids are benefiting from that, but you got to plant the seeds, uh, and you got to, you know, believe in hope and have faith in hope. Uh, I think we got to try and that's what 10 hidden heroes is about. It's a celebration of people who are 
planting small seeds every day and, and they're going to turn into trees, but it's going to take, you know, years and years. But if we don't do it now, uh, you know, it's never going to get done. Now you talk about 10 hidden heroes. Um, are there, are there just 10 or, uh, are are there a whole bunch? Because you made it sound earlier uh, in the last segment, like um, that it was that it unfolded like the twelve days of Christmas, where <laughs> the first page you find one, the second page you find two. Is it is it yes. like that? Well, yeah, it's on page ten. There are ten hidden heroes doing in, in that particular case uh, doing issues around health. On page nine, it's a different theme with nine different heroes doing something completely different on the environment. Um, you know, on page three, it's three heroes, again, doing something completely different around peace building. Um, and um, so each page has got a different theme with a different number of heroes in it. So um, every page is different. And, you know, I've had a couple of people tell me that they sat with their kids and, you know, got through page 10 and page nine. <laughs> that was it because... They had to find the 10 heroes, and the kids asked so many questions about each of those 10 heroes that by the time they got to page 9 and got through those 9 heroes doing, you know, 9 different activities. It was bedtime. The kids asked. <laughs> yeah, bedtime. So, uh, and, you know, the kids wanted the next night go over the 8, find the 8 hidden heroes on page 8 and discuss why, you know, these uh, heroes are heroic for doing, you know, whatever it is on page 8. So it's a it's a fun book. It's an adventure book. It's a counting book, uh, but it's really a celebration book of those that uh, you know essential workers, those who are doing acts of love, tiny acts of love every day. You know, Mark, I've talked to a lot of people who have done children's books, and I'm not sure we ever really um, talked about how important it is these books become for the parents. Um, as as outlines for talking about things with their kids. Well, I hope you're, uh, you know, say it again, Tom, so your listeners hear it. That's exactly the point. I mean, I saw one review of the book on Amazon, and the person wrote, I don't, you know, quite get why, the, you know, the, some of these issues are too, you know, too deep for young children. And the issue point is, yeah, they may be, you know, quote, too deep for young children, but they're not for adults. And, you know, do you, Tom, really think that Special Olympics athletes, people who have developmental disabilities, do you think they can be heroes? Well, of And, course. you know, if, your kid, if you're reading to your grandchildren or your kid or your niece or your nephew or your next-door neighbor, I don't know, and that kid asks you that question, you know, Uncle Tom or you know, Grandpa Tom or whatever you're called, do you really think uh, the people who are you know, slow learners can be heroes. What's the answer? Well, of, of I mean, it course. makes you think. Yeah, but, you know, 40 years ago when my mother started Special Olympics, the answer wasn't, of course. And I think a lot of people don't realize that people with developmental disabilities are working, holding down jobs, are married, live on their own. But they also may not know that, you know, not, people with developmental disabilities, the unemployment rate is 90%. And should we as a country be you know, helping to train those folks so that they can take jobs and be great employees. Well, why don't we do that? Why don't we talk about that on your show? And why don't, it, you know, you bring in somebody from the state of Michigan who works with the Developmental Disabilities Commission and find out why they're under-resourced and not, you know, training people with developmental disabilities to do work. 
I mean, that's a pretty good question. And if that happens as a result of the book or this conversation, you know, that's and, fun. That's good stuff. And and it's it's interesting that you encountered someone who thought maybe some of these issues might be too deep for kids because the the thing is you well know that children are often the ones living with uh, food insecurity and poverty and um, violence and 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 racism without necessarily knowing how to understand the things that are happening around them. Yes, and we see that at Save the Children all the time. The food insecurity, which is a fancy term for you're hungry, uh, is impacting you know uh, over 10 million kids every day in this country. Why is that? You know, we have in the in the book there's the Save the Children folks giving out books. You know, why do we in the richest country in the history of the world have uh, children that can't afford books and go to school where they don't have internet connection, um, where they don't have enough you know resources to go home? You know, I mean, our kids, my wife Jeannie and I've been married almost thirty years. Our kids have got great internet connection and they're learning you know, pretty well during this pandemic. Well, why are there millions of kids that don't have internet connection, don't have a laptop, don't have the ability to learn and are going to fall behind further? You know, those are, I mean, those are questions that, you know, eight-year-olds deal with when they live in poverty. Uh, They don't know how to answer them, but maybe they ought to, you know, those conversations ought to happen on your show. Well, Uh, and and I do try, and I do try to do that. I do try to cover all of the things that that yeah. we can address and and that's one of the things that I really enjoy about doing this show because I am by no means an expert in anything mark but I'm fortunate enough to have people like you on the show who are and can you know speak to and address uh, some of these Well you're issues. shining a huge light Tom right so thank you for doing that um and I mean, I guess, you know, I'm not an expert by any stretch either, um, but I want to thank you. You know, I mean, the idea, I hadn't thought about it that way. You know, do we really think that Special Olympics athletes are heroes? And then if so, you know, maybe uh, somebody who runs, uh, you know, the budget for the governor of Michigan or uh, somebody listening to this will say, why aren't we investing in those needs for people with developmental disabilities? They are heroic. Why, why aren't we training them? Why aren't we have? Why isn't their housing provided? And you can say that's not government's role, but we can have a discussion about it, and then you know make an argument that if we invest in people with developmental disabilities, they'll pay taxes and you know flourish as human beings. That's a pretty good answer. It, you that's know, what and makes it this book fun. And it doesn't always have to be the government doing it we had uh that's correct we had a state legislator uh from the flint area where i grew up who founded a uh a foot race um to benefit special olympics like 40 years ago mm-hmm. and it's 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 become a world-class event and now it's you know kind of on hiatus because of the pandemic but you know it was bringing 10 to fifteen thousand people to the Flint area to run in this race every year and raise money for Special Olympics. So there are things that those regular heroes you feature in the book, and by regular I mean everyday heroes, um, that you feature in this uh, in this book for kids, um, there are things they can do about the things Absolutely. that we talk about. Absolutely, and that's a great example, you know, creating a, 
uh, a race here. I don't know whether it's a marathon or five k or whatever it is. It's, it's a marathon. Money. It's ra- it is a marathon. Yeah. It's raising money. It's raising awareness, um, and it's asking us, you know, as a as a community, whether we're from Flint or Michigan or the United States, you know, what do we value? Um, and if we value, you know, uh, raising money for Special Olympics to give people with developmental disabilities. Uh, access to athletics, which in and of itself is breaking down. You know, when people see great athletes, uh, like spe- the Special Olympics athletes can be, they say, well, well, maybe they maybe they not only can run a race quickly or play soccer well, but maybe they can get a job. And then, bam, you, you're making social change. And that's what my mom did. You know, she was a genius in using sports to knock down these walls of misunderstanding and prejudice and isolation. I, ju- I just had a conversation budget. recently, Mark, with uh, the uh, chief uh, diversity officer from IBM about uh, uh, rolling neurodiversity into tech organizations and and the benefits of doing that. Yeah, well, those are that, that's powerful. That's that's um, and that's know, exactly the stuff that we're talking about. But we just have a couple of minutes left, Mark, and I and I want to make sure and ask you a couple of things. One is, what's next for Mark? Have you got the bug now? Are you going to be the next Doctor Seuss? <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Seuss wrote more than uh, three books. I've written three of them. They're hard. They're hard to do, Tom. As you know, you, you know writing and. Uh, in this case, making sure that, uh, you know, the, the heroes are depicted in the way it's writing's a lot of work. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I've thought of so many other heroes that I should put in a book. Maybe we'll do 10 hidden heroes part two. Uh, I love talking about these issues, you know, with, with you and, uh, with your listeners. I think we really got to struggle with them uh, as a country and as a community. So we'll see. I don't know. I'm, I enjoy working at Save the Children doing good work all across America and across the world, trying to help kids and learn from the kids and families. Um, so I'm in a good place. And our kids are healthy, thank God, and uh, we're blessed at the Shriver household. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's end it here, as I do with all my guests. Um, I like to give uh, listeners an opportunity to know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, Mark, do you have a website? Uh, 10 hidden heroes. Yes. It's, you know, it's for sale in you know, independent bookstores at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart.com. It's, uh, uh, 10 hidden heroes is for sale everywhere. Save the children has a website. Um, uh, save the children action network is also online as well. We'd love to get people involved in our advocacy work on, you know, entering into, as Teddy Roosevelt said, into that arena, uh, to try to raise the visibility and the importance of kids needs. Um, so if folks want to help save the children, they can go on savethechildren.org or Save the Children Action Network. They want to be involved in our grassroots advocacy efforts. Um, and um, Ten Hidden Heroes is for sale. Well, Mark, it's been an honor and a pleasure talking with you. I feel like we could talk all day, but uh, we've got to wrap it up there. Thank you so much for spending this time. Thanks for having me, Tom. Have a great, uh, great morning and a great uh, rest of the day. Take Thank care. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was uh, Mark Shriver. Um, who is uh, president of the Save the Children Action Network in Washington, D.C. He created the Choice Program and is a former Maryland state legislator. He is the author of Pilgrimage, My Search for the Real Pope Francis, and the New York Times bestselling memoir, 
uh, rediscovering my father, a good man, rediscovering my father, Sergeant Shriver. Um, his uh, new book is for kids, 10 Hidden Heroes, a counting book with a message. We'll have more after this. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello! I'm Maestro Ricky Magazine. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Whiplet Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Well, welcome back to the zone, everybody. Twilight zone, that is, as we uh, talk with, uh, well, just ahead of uh, Father's Day. I think one of the best Father's Day gifts, uh, best Father's Day reads that I've ever come across is uh, the book uh, written by my next guest about her father, the iconic creator of Twilight Zone, Rod Serling. I'm talking about the book, uh, As I Knew Him, My Dad, Rod Serling, with his daughter, Ann Serling. And welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tom, and thank you for what you just said. Well, you know, you've been uh, such a great uh, supporter of ours. You've called in a couple of times on uh, anniversaries and things. And I remember when I, when I first interviewed you about this book and I had a chance to read the book, at how surprised I was that, um, you know, your dad was such an icon because of Twilight Zone. We've talked about this before. If somebody, something unusual or strange or bizarre happens, somebody goes, do, 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 and everybody knows exactly what they mean, and it's all left over from that uh, television show. But yet, growing up with him as your dad was a very different experience than the impression people have of him. Absolutely. As I wrote in the book, he was nothing like people would have anticipated. You know, he wasn't that dark image walking across that soundstage. He was really very, very funny. And um, if my friends had any reservations about meeting him after they'd seen The Twilight Zone, just, you know, five minutes in my dad's company, and they, they felt incredibly, incredibly comfortable. And my dad just had that ability to make you feel sort of, special and appreciated and like he was really listening to you there there was something just very endearing about him uh, and how long has the book been out uh the hardcover came out in 2013 and the paperback 2014 and my guess is at least from you know watching uh, some of the the posts i see on facebook um by you and by people posting things to your page that people are still just becoming aware of it. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, you know, sometimes it's people that have heard about the book from other people or people that are writing, you know, their own memoirs. Or it, it's sort of an um, interesting direction how people c- kind of navigate, navigate towards me or, um, or, the, or have heard of the book and want to know more about it or, you know, have their, yeah. want to talk about their own relationship with their dad. And now that people uh, have read the book, did, did they have kind of the same reaction as I did, that he just seemed completely different than that, that guy in the black suit with a narrow tie and a cigarette stepping out of the shadows to uh, basically terrify us about what was about to happen on television? Right, yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. But, but other people are having that same sort of reaction of going, Wow, this guy—he was actually kind of, kind of like Hugh Beaumont from <laughs> *Leave It to Beaver*. He wrestled around on the floor with with you and and uh, your siblings, and played with the dog, and and uh, was just kind of a friendly dad. Yeah, 
just, he was very playful and, you know, a practical joker, and I think there was a genetic uh, propensity for that. His own father was apparently like that, too. Well, one of the things that, that I was thinking about um, was, you know, based on, on my reading of the book and, and your telling of, of not just your experiences growing up with him, but, but some of his experiences growing up and, and his, his, it's part biography and, and uh, memoir, but there, I, I, it's difficult for me to see where the creative spark behind the Twilight Zone was. Um, because he, he seemed, you know, he served in World War II, like a lot of his contemporaries. He was, he was injured. He carried some of those injuries with him uh, after the war. Um, but, but there didn't seem to be anything um, that, that set him apart from all the other guys that, that served in World War II. Um, that would that would spark this this special world where you could deal with contemporary issues um, in, in a non-threatening way. Well, I, you know, I think part of it was um, that, he, and, he, and you're right, he wasn't unique to the trauma that he experienced in the war. Certainly, anyone in any war experiences that. Sure. Um, but when he started college, he 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 actually was going to major in language and literature, but he was still so overwhelmed by what he had experienced that he said he had to write, he had to get it off his chest, um, out of his gut, and so he, he switched. Uh, I'm sorry, he, he was going to major in phys ed because he liked working with kids, and yeah. then he switched to language and literature. But part of, the, part of the reason that he wrote The Twilight Zone was because he had been so censored in other things that he was attempting to write, like the story about Emmett Till, the little African-American boy that was murdered. And he saw this as a workaround, um, you know, putting these stories in a uh, fantastical world. And uh, he, he, his quote was uh, that an alien could say what a Democrat or a Republican couldn't. <laughs> because they're not real. But 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 the issues were real because the kinds of things that he talked about had to do with with uh, uh, bigotry and and hatred and greed and all of these these dark things. But he managed to find a vehicle that had this almost tongue in cheek quality that 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 really expressed the irony of bad human behavior. Absolutely. He said, and I even remember this as a very little girl, uh, how he felt about prejudice. And, and he said that you know, he felt that it was the greatest evil of our time. And, and, and how sad that it's still so prevalent today, you know. And, and that from somebody who had uh, survived the horrors of war. Right. And actually, um, his first dose of prejudice came... Um, from his own Jewish people, he'd wanted to date, uh, I guess, non-Jewish girls at one point, or some an, a non-Jewish girl, and I guess he was blackballed from a Jewish fraternity for wanting to do that. So that, that was his sort of his dose of prejudice on a personal level. Well, yeah, because your your dad grew up in that era that uh, I, I remember uh, 
the the classic Groucho Marx line where he said, uh, "I wouldn't join a club that would have me as a member." Right. Right. <laughs> and and uh, but but a Jewish fraternity would in those days would rebuke him for wanting to date outside the faith. Right. You're, you're um, fading out a little bit. Can you hear me okay, Tom? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, um, but, but getting back to Twilight Zone, now you had a chance in putting this book together to talk to some of the people who have become um, big stars in their own right, Robert Redford and Carol Burnett and, um, and some of the others, uh, just some of the names that come to mind of people that appeared in Twilight Zone episodes, uh, Agnes Moorhead and Jack Klugman, Jonathan Winters, we were talking about this earlier. In uh, Really, Twilight Zone helped launch some very big stars. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting, isn't it? Was that your Robert dad's? Red, was that your dad's Robert, eye for talent? I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said. Was that your dad's eye for talent? Well, you know, he certainly had a voice in in who he envisioned in in part. So, um, I, I think it was a combined effort. I I think all the guys that worked on the Twilight Zone, it was a pretty seamless team. And, and I was going. You started to Go say ahead. something about Robert Redford, and I cut you off. I apologize. Uh, yeah, the episode that he was in was called Mr. Death. Actually, it was written by George Clayton Johnson, but I think Robert Redford was, what, 20-some years old when he was in that part. It was, if not the first acting job, it was certainly one of his first. But, yeah, Robert Duvall and, and uh, I, I think Robert De Niro. I'm not sure if if I'm... I think you're right. But but just about everybody that became a big big star, um, at some point took a gig doing an episode or more of the Twilight Zone, and I just wondered how much your dad had to do with the casting. Yeah, like I, like I said, I mean, he certainly had a voice in it because he owned Cayuga Productions. Right. And where did that name come from? Cayuga uh, Lake is where our summer cottage that was built by my great-great-grandfather. So that's where Cayuga Productions came from. And and you spent uh, summers there, is that right? Yes. Um, every summer of my life, every... And it was built actually by, on my mother's side of the family by um, her great-grandfather. Uh-huh. It would have been my great great And she spent every summer of her life here as well, and... and my children have. More with Rod Serling's daughter, Anne, from 2016 Father's Day. Straight ahead. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation the Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. 
you pilots get off of my lawn? We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.